It's good to be with you here. Uh, feels a little different out in this field in June than it did in May. I can feel the sweat droplets ticking down my time with you, and so I will be faithful as much as I can. This past week, I was at the beach with my family, um, not just my family, but my parents and my sisters, and um, I, I am incredibly, incredibly privileged uh, to have a really, really great family. Uh, we all enjoy one another. We have healthy relationships with one Well, I think. I think we have largely healthy relationships with one another. And, uh, you know, knowing that we're leading up to uh, leading up to Father's Day, I just got to watch my father be a grandfather. Um, and the older I get, the more and more grateful I am for the man that uh, was given to me as my father. Fatherhood is the most demanding, humbling thing that God has ever given me slash called me to in my entire life. Uh, I am so, so grateful to be a father and feel so, so incompetent every day. Um, and as I reflected on that at the beach by myself, looking at the waves um, one morning, I just prayed again that the fatherhood of God would overwhelm my own insufficient fatherhood um, and if you have not been so blessed and privileged as I have to have a good father um, I pray that Jesus would knit you so well into this community that you would find um, men who would come and care for you and represent that that name better than anybody else has for you that if you were fatherless in your life you would find that God has not ceased to father you and he would redeem that name for you, even as he redeems it for my own children <laughs> because of my own failures. This morning, we're going to finish the book of Philippians. Uh, we're in Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read just pretty much this whole chapter. Um, it'll go quickly. After this... Um, as you're in your missional communities and, and you'll still watch, get teaching from me, from us at Valley Hope, I'm going to move into a series for the rest of the summer that I'm just calling Jesus With. And what I've done is just gone through and find stories of Jesus' interactions with other people in the Gospels. And the hope there is that you will see this summer and this time in missional communities, again, not as a pause time or a wasted time, but it's a time where you can see Jesus with you, Jesus with your community, Jesus with your neighbors. So we're going to look at lots of stories about how Jesus interacts with all kinds of different people. That'll start next week. But this week we're going to finish the book of Philippians. We're in verse starting at verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your 
requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was indeed, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let me pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we encounter you in the word, that this is the word of God. It is living and active. We pray that it would be living and active in us. We pray, God, that we would not let it just pass by, but that instead we would open our hearts and receive it as the words of our best friend who is our Father, who is our God. Shape us and change us into your image and likeness. Fill us with your Holy Spirit again and again. We love you, Jesus. Help us this morning to love you more. Amen. This is coming to the end of of Paul's letter, and you can actually see at the end of this letter uh, what has provoked Paul to write this letter sort of coming to the culmination of what he is saying. Um, it turns out the Philippians have sent him money, basically. He has been in need. And he says, you know, I've, I've been fine. I've been knowing how to make it. But he's received their gifts with gratitude. It's been more than enough. He's fully supplied. And you can see how much it means to him relationally. It's not just about the fact that now he has cash in the bank. It's that he sees how much the Philippians love him and care for him. And he rejoices over him. So if you sort of cast your mind back to the rest of the letter, you can hear the gratitude that he has for them. Again, not just about the money, but about the love that they have demonstrated to him when he's felt like many people, most people, everyone has forgotten him and possibly abandoned him. The Philippians have demonstrated their care for him by sending money, and he says, I know that you weren't holding out on me. I know that this wasn't you being um, anything less than generous. This was the first moment that you could come take care of me, and you did. But in this final chapter of Philippians, Paul's uh, 
instructions about how Christians, these Christians ought to live their life. I was so struck reading through it again and again about how exactly opposite uh, this described community is from the way that our world is. From the beginning of this passage, where he is first addressing some apparent conflict between two women, Euodia and Syntyche, these women who are important to him, these two women who have labored with him in the gospel, he sort of calls them out. N.T. Wright points out, this can go badly if you publicly call somebody out like this. But Paul knows what he's doing, apparently, and says, look, guys, work it out, please. And there's some other recipient of the letter, his fellow companion, his fellow traveler, who's saying, please help these ladies to reconcile and work it out. They're important to me. This relationship is important to me. So Paul values reconciliation and is willing even to take the chance of stepping on toes to plead for reconciliation between people. And this is the opposite of the impulses of our culture, which is not reconciliation and right relationship. It's if something is broken, if there's relational damage, cut it, be done. And if you can publicly burn it to to pieces, then do that. But Paul is advocating for the opposite. And then he advocates for the Philippian people to be a people who are focused on this different kind of life, this different kind of being in the world. He tells them to rejoice in the Lord always. I don't see much in the world that naturally provokes us to be constantly rejoicing. That is not the spirit of this age, to rejoice always. He tells them, Uh, to focus on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. We are primed and conditioned to be a meditative people, but in our day and time, the object of our meditation is the opposite of all those things. We are being conditioned constantly to be reviewing all that is ugly and bad and awful in the world. We were meant to be a people who meditate, but we have been primed and taught and discipled into being a people who meditate on the opposite of Paul's list. And I don't think Paul is is telling us that this is easy to live this way. In fact, he ends this short section of this passage by saying, you will have to practice these things. This will be a requirement of you that you discipline yourself to practice meditating on what is just and true and honorable and beautiful, focus on these things and make it a practice of your life. And he can, he can point to his own life. He says, I have learned. I have learned how to be content. I have learned in whatever circumstances how to be a person who is content. He doesn't say, this was easy for me. This doesn't, he doesn't say this came naturally to me. He doesn't say I became a Christian and it happened like a snap. He says, I have learned how to be this way in whatever my circumstances. And he capitalizes this statement. He underlines this statement by identifying the source of the ability to be content like this in a very famous Verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When I'm teaching New Testament survey at Montreat, 
When we're going through the book of Philippians, I always make sure we stop and we look at Philippians 4.13 because most of them have heard of Philippians 4.13 because it's written on cleats or a bat or eye black. And all they hear is Jesus is sort of this magical label, this sort of spiritual duct tape or charm that I can tape on all of my best wishes and Jesus will help me hit home runs. He'll help me hit a PR in the mile. He'll help me jump the longest long jump or whatever. I can do anything in Christ. And of course, this is not at all what Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about all his long list of successes, about how he has all these accomplishments that he wants and Jesus can be sort of duct taped over on top of them to make God be charmed into giving him whatever he wants. It's the opposite. Paul is saying, when I have suffered, when I have had nothing, I have learned to be content because God strengthens me from the inside out. God, who, who I'm talking about, Jesus, who we've whose work we've been highlighting in all of the work of Philippians, this one, he has strengthened me and made me able to do what otherwise I could not do. I have learned how to be content. Isn't this kind of life completely different than the life that we are being formed into? A life that seeks reconciliation between those that you have problems with. A life that is devoted to meditation on what is good and right and just and honorable and pure. A life that is marked by contentment. What I have just described to you is basically the opposite of the American way of life. The American way of life is consumed by all of these urges that are barely or not at all in control that beckon us to constantly be dwelling and meditating on the opposite of what Paul says, to have nothing about the mark of contentment on us. We have machines that we all hold in our pockets or on our desks that are devoted to constant and infinite scrolling, teaching us what to be mad at, what should be impure to dwell on, what are the things that we do not have, what are the things that other people have, what are the things that other people get to do that I do not get to do. We are being constantly discipled by our devices and by our media to be the opposite of this kind of people. And Paul's instruction to us that this is learned, that this requires practice, is something that we have to constantly keep in front of our eyes. We will not just be the kind of people that Paul describes. This is not some spiritual experience, some sense of nirvana, some light bulb going on that just makes the kind of people that Paul is describing. He's instead describing a lifetime of inclining your heart to contemplate God. The psalm that we read for our call to worship. The psalmist says that God is the one who invites us to seek his face. And the psalmist's response is, your face I will seek. Our desire, the the desire of the psalmist in Psalm 27, the desire that Paul is discussing in Philippians chapter 4, is a constant refocusing of desire to, to gaze on God, to long for Him, 
and to discipline our hearts to look at Him. Paul says in in verse 5, this is the verse that, that sort of leapt out to me, most pierced me. I think the people who translate Bibles are are geniuses way smarter than me. But in this particular circumstance, I think the ESV misses what the word actually says. My translation that I read out to you said, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I particularly loved this verse at first glance because I fancy myself a pretty reasonable person. I'm a very rational person. I like to sort of take the edge out of things, the sting out of things, and just sort of pick through the logic of things. This, at first glance, said to me, good job, Anthony. But I went and checked to make sure of what I was reading, and I, I just, it's not reasonableness. The word is better understood to be gentleness and forbearance. The description is those who do not take advantage of what the law would demand of others, but instead has mercy and grace. And then I said, well, now this is the opposite because that is the opposite of me. Now, this is my least favorite verse in the passage. What I wanted is to be the person who reasonably demonstrated my superiority and my rationalism. But with the text, what Paul is pointing to, what the Spirit is saying, is that the people of God are meant to be known as this sort of gracious, forbearing, patient, gentle people. And this is not something that our culture glorifies. We do not live in an age of gentleness. My heart is not a hotbed of gentleness. But what is Paul's rationale for it? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. All of the anxiety that he warns against in the passage, all of the the filth, all of the hate, all of the injustice, all all that is ugly that we are tempted to meditate on. We're not just called to be virtuous people for virtuous sake. Instead, Paul sticks the cross of Jesus in the ground and says, this is your rationale. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is close by. Jesus most clearly accurately conveys to us the character of God. And all of these things that Paul is describing, that we meditate on, that we aim to be, these things are all Jesus. Paul doesn't really even say that in the logic of what he's saying. He doesn't just come out and say it point blank. But if you read through Philippians 4 again, you can't help but see Jesus over all the things that he is describing. Jesus is the great reconciler. Jesus is the one who comes to his people and says, Do not be anxious. I will take care of you. Jesus is the one who is most just and true and pure and beautiful and commendable. Jesus is the one 
who provides contentment for his people. Because in Jesus, we have all the riches of heaven itself conveyed to us uniquely and only in the person of Jesus. You can't read Philippians 4, you can't read passages like this in all of Scripture and just see a to-do list, just be a better person, because it'll never work. And if you take all of these virtuous and all of these good things and you just put them on a list and try to make it through your day, being counterformed the way the world is trying to form you and just say, well, I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be this kind of person. And all you end up doing is looking at yourself and how you're doing and how you're progressing in these ways. And you never look at Jesus. You will miss the whole pulsing heartbeat of Christian life. You will never be able to be the kind of person who is content or who has broken free from anxiety or who reconciles with those who hate you or have hurt you. At the center of this kind of life is Jesus Christ. I'm not standing up here this morning and preaching to you moral perfectionism. I'm not going to stand up and say, just be a better person. You can find that message outside of these pages. But what Scripture opened up is going to tell you is, Jesus is meant to be the center of your life and your hope and all the longings that you have for this world, all the longings and wishings that you had for yourself, they are only meant to be centered on Jesus. And if you would seek His face, like the psalmist says in Psalm 27, if you would seek to only dwell in the house of the Lord, you will find the one who has come close to you and has provided for you all the riches you could not win for yourself, who will protect your reputation, who you can turn over all of your anxieties to, who you can trust to learn gentleness and forbearance because Jesus is the one who describes himself as gentle and lowly and takes care of the weak and the fragile. The life of God that is meant to spill out into our own life cannot come from a list of virtues set aside on a piece of paper. The life of God that you want can only be found in God. If you read and hear Philippians 4 this morning and you say, like me, my goodness, I have fallen far short of this description. The gospel is good news for you this morning. You and I are not so different from Paul. You and I are still the people who need Jesus to be gentle and forbearing with us. And Jesus still is that person and will always only be that person to his people. So if you read this list and you see not just the person you wish you were, but all the ways that you have failed to be this kind of person, the cross is before you this morning. Paul's words still apply. The Lord is near. And you should come to him and find mercy and forgiveness and life again this morning. And if you hear this description of the person that you are meant to be, 
and you know that you have not come close to meditating on Jesus the way that Paul encourages you to meditate. Instead, if you have given yourself over to your fear, your frustration, your anxiety, your rage, all the injustice and ugliness and filth of this world, if you know this morning, if you are hearing it crash over yourself, this morning you are called to a life of repentance. You are called to turn to Jesus. It may be a helpful diagnostic tool. If you think that you are skating by the examination of this scripture, if I was to come with Jesus to examine your Facebook page, If I was going to come examine your Twitter feed, your Instagram feed, would Jesus find there a life that is described in Philippians 4? Are those things that you are meditating on, do they fit Philippians 4? I know very often the case for myself, the answer is no. Repentance is not trying to earn God's favor. Repentance is knowing that He has offered His favor and you have turned aside and you want to come back to it. If you have been overwhelmed and given yourself over to all of these things, repent. Turn around and come to Jesus. He's not going to keep you at bay. He's not going to keep you to one side. Well, listen, you need to be in timeout for like 10, 15 years. And then when you're better, then I will come be close to you. When you stretch out your hand to the God who calls himself Father, you will find him immediately close to you. God is a better father than me or anyone I've ever met. And he delights when his children reach up their hands and said, I can't anymore. Would you carry me? And his love is a stooping down, scoop you up kind of love. If you have given yourself over to a different kind of life, would you reach up your hand and let the Father scoop you up and bring you home? Jesus is before you this morning. And he does not give you to a kind of life, a heavy burden that you could not carry. He instead presents himself to care for you, to sustain you. Because in him who strengthens you, you can do all things. This Jesus is here to meet with his people this morning. Would you respond to him now? I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to sort of leave some silence and let you answer that question. Let you answer him as he leans in to whisper to you. Father, I ask that your voice would be clear and loud in our ears. Would you come apply the words to our hearts? 
Father, I pray this morning for all of those who have labored under the burdens of fear, anxiety, and shame. God, I pray that they would find you to be a gentle comforter and healer. And Father, I pray for all of those who have been perhaps living their life, meditating on, dwelling on, living into a kind of life that is the opposite of what we're meant for. And this morning, the the shock of it, the realization has kind of hit. And God, I pray that, that they would embrace the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. They would set aside condemnation that comes from the accuser. And they would they would see, they would sense that you are calling them to freedom. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would have our eyes fixed on you, that we would crave to dwell in your house, to gaze on your beauty, to be transformed and transfigured into your likeness. Jesus, I pray that people here today who have been ensnared and trapped would be liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit to throw themselves into your arms and let you, Father of God, Father God, transform them mend their wounds and bring them into your tent. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We pray that you would make us together as individuals and a people to be a people who are fixed on you and formed more and more to be like you. We trust you'll do this by your spirit, Lord God. Amen.